Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So guys, I have some amazing news. On International Men's Day, November 19th, come and join me and some esteemed guests such as Johnny Benjamin, Simon Thomas, Hope Virgo, Tom Chapman and more as we partner with Sure Mind Charity, Beyond and the Lions Barber Collective for an evening with some of the celebrated authors from Trigger Hub debunking myths around men's mental health. As a guest, in person or online, you will be part of a conversation as we tackle some of the all too common manner myths from my book, Time to Talk, How Men Think About Love, Belonging and Connection, what it really means to be a man in 2021. It's not one to miss, so head to the link in the description to RSVP today or head over to mantalk.live to get your tickets now. That's head over to mantalk.live to get your tickets now. Welcome to Time to Talk. This week, I'm speaking to psychotherapist James Hawes. A bit about James is that he is the author of The Secret Lives of Men, 10 Keys to Unlock the Mystery. In this conversation, we're discussing some of the things that affect men and their mental health, namely anger, which generally shows up when men are discussing mental health. Emotionally, men have access to anger through fear and typically don't have much vocabulary and language to express what needs to be expressed. This could be through socialization. This could be through many other repressed thoughts and ideas about what it means to be emotional and to be a man. So I thought a conversation around what a psychotherapist thinks and one who specifically speaks chiefly to male clients would be interesting and good for you guys as well as myself it was super refreshing for me so that's the conversation we have coming up and i'm looking forward to you hearing it as you might remember starting these little heart-to-heart lessons to accompany the heart-to-heart letters that you can find over at alexholmes.substack.com um that's where i do my weekly blog but 
I wanted to share some thoughts and some insights with you guys here. And one of the things that's come up to me and what's on my heart at the minute is this idea around anger and how we access that, why we access that as men. And the fact that anger gets quite a bad rep um, in the way that, you know, it's kind of positioned in society. And I think it just boils down to us communicating our needs. And we're not really very good at doing that as humans, but as men specifically. So I had a conversation on this podcast with Dr. Sophie Mort. And if you're interested, go back to that um, conversation. There's a few episodes back now. But we were talking about her book, A Manual for Being Human. And we touched on a conversation around what your favourite emotion is. Um, And we both settled on anger being our favourite emotion. Some people love happiness because everybody wants to be happy everybody wants to be joyful we celebrate happiness we celebrate um the the ideal emotion that is in happiness um and also the ability for it to then spread and everybody be happy and you know not not think about or concern themselves with the things that are very challenging to discuss and talk about. But there's a few things that I find quite interesting about anger. And one of those things is that when we think about anger, we think about the way that it shows up in a lot of our lives. It really does stem from that disconnect of not being heard. And there's various ways that anger can show up in our lives. And I think that the way that we are introduced to anger is quite bad because it's always positioned as something that happens when we don't have control of ourselves. When children are angry, they lash out. And when they're angry they don't know or understand what these feelings mean and what that means for them and, you know, who they're impacting and why they're impacting these things. But we don't do a good enough job as adults, I would say, in helping children understand their emotions. And when we genderize it now, when we make it a gender issue, that says that boys will be boys and boys can feel anger and be um, boisterous and all of that and say that, you know, it's good for you to be angry, it's good for you to be aggressive, it's good for you to be all of these things. But when it comes to girls, you know, being angry is not good, being angry is X, Y, and Z, it's not ladylike, it's all these different things. What we're doing is that we're not giving a fair shot to A, expression, and B, trying to get people to understand how to relate to one another, how to fully be human. Because on one hand, if one, you know, child 
has been told that they can't and should not express anger. But everything else is fine because that's what fits and attunes into society's understanding of who we are as people. But then another child shouldn't feel anything else but anger or aggression. How do you think we are going to relate to one another? How do you think we're going to understand what that means for ourselves when we fall short of ourselves, when we don't have the the resources and the tools and the language to sit down and say, okay, this is what I'm feeling, this is why I'm feeling it. Um, I'm not necessarily why you're feeling, but this is what I'm feeling and I need to sit down and address what I'm feeling. And I find that a lot of men and a lot of people who identify as such with there being with it being a world that is so hard and so tough and so robust sometimes anger is the only thing that we have access to and don't get me started on the fact that a lot of movements and a lot of social change is embedded in anger black lives matter was embedded in anger stonewall riots were embedded in anger Things are embedded in anger because anger helps move things. And I think that what we don't like, and even if I just go backtrack a bit, when we start speaking, you know, with the governmentally and in the media about protests and about how, oh, we shouldn't be using certain language or shouldn't be taking it out on the public or disrupting and doing all these different things. What does what does that do for for the cause that people are actually fighting for? It's just going to make people feel more angry. And this is why I'm so adamant in the fact that we need to have systems that are engaged in listening to one another. But when you have communities and people who are who have been conditioned for years to not feel anything but anger or to be compassionate or to have any form of empathy and then that embedded into a system which then becomes culture and becomes history it does make me think that we do have a long way to go and sometimes I say I do these things and say these things and I find it difficult to fully believe that anything's going to change because I'm an optimist by nature. But I want to make sure that we are having proper conversations around anger and around what that means to be angry. And I don't think that when a child is angry that we should quell their anger and stop their anger from being expressed. Of course, at the detriment of harming themselves and others. And yeah, you step in as an adult and help regulate that emotion. But at the same time, I know from my own experience of growing up that anger was an issue because it was something that I felt that I wasn't allowed to feel. Because while it was something that was like, you know, you are a boy, get aggressive, man up, do all that stuff. That's one thing. But another thing is 
causing harm, whether it be physically or emotionally to another person is not something that I really want to be doing. You know, if I get angry, I don't want to be smashing glasses and slamming doors and um, and doing that. I don't want to do that. But I sometimes sit down and think, is that a conditioning? Do I feel guilty for having those feelings and those thoughts so that when they do come up, I squash it quite a bit? I don't know. Over time, I did sit down and I did think about it all. And I... I took out a lot of that energy when I went to the gym and when I was doing boxing and when I did a lot of physical activity, I put all of the energy into there. I put a lot of that pain into my creation and start putting it down on paper and into those places, but it's still not expressed. And these are the things that we need to look at. And when we, when we have anger that is unexpressed, it lodges in our body, it comes out at the most unexpected times and it damages relationships. And this is why episodes like this are important because we need to start speaking about what it means to really kind of feel anger in in, in particular ways and why men feel a particular way about um, their emotions and how they feel about those emotions and why it's so important that we have conversations about emotions as men. So there's that. And so after... I want to leave you with this bit for something to do. Um, in that conversation with Dr. Sophie Moore, she spoke about anger journaling. And I want to invite you to, to do that. Take a page, an A4 page, um, and just write down the things that you are angry about. When you get angry, just write them down in all on that page. It can go for as long as a page or two, probably even three and just write them down and get it off your chest. And then what do, what Dr. Sophie Mort says is to read it back. I would say give it some space. I'd say give it an hour or so. Give it two. And read it back. And witness. Bear witness to the person that was writing that. Bear witness to the emotions. Bear witness to what has been said. And then once you've read it, Rip it up, rip it up, and then throw it away into a bin and let the anger go. And through that process, I'm hoping that we will get to a point where we are fully articulating the kind of anger that we have, the feelings that we have, and just really channeling what it is we are really feeling because anger is an emotion that protects it is in front of something and I think we need to remember to do the work to break that down men specifically all right that's that with the heart to heart lesson let's move on let's get on with the show this is my conversation with James Halls let me know what you think in the comments remember to rate review and subscribe and share share among all the people that need to hear this. Enjoy the show. Welcome, James, to Time to Talk. Thank you for joining me. How are you doing? Great. Thanks, Alex, and thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our chat today. Let's, let's start at the beginning, pretty much. Like, what is your 
your story? What do you what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a I'm a psychotherapist and counsellor who ultimately specialises in working with boys and men. Ninety five percent of my clients are male, which is kind of fairly unusual in the in the psychotherapy world. Uh, I'm also a supervisor, so I supervise other counsellors. I train counsellors as well, mainly in the area of working with men. Um, I'm also an author um, of The Secret Lives of Men, and I'm all really kind of quite interested and fascinated with trying to break down stigma around mental health. Um, so I'm uh, just beginning a new venture business called it's kind of online um emotional gym how did you get into doing the um, like psychotherapy and picking that as a career you know because a lot of the um a lot of the conversations around therapists and becoming one you don't necessarily like see a lot of men doing it Mm. It, it, Mm. it's been kind of stigmatized as a female profession yeah so how did you get into it yeah absolutely right well I I worked as a youth worker when I was younger in my 20s I got into and I was working also in the church for some of those years went to work in the middle of Hull in doing detached youth work working in the inner city ultimately setting up community in a city community lived in a community and it was heavy it's really hard work and I think what happened to me I kind of was questioning a lot about faith, but also I think I ultimately burnt out. When I was about 29, 30, I kind of just was lost. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know the next step, didn't know where to go. So I found myself going up north, actually, to a a spiritual center retreat and living in the middle of nowhere and trying to find myself that kind of that phrase trying to break down a lot of the ego and and you know so I cleaned toilets I helped out I was was basically just doing very simple stuff and up there I discovered that a lot more about the inner workings of of humans and I got interested in psychology interested in uh, feelings and the movement of feelings and then I started experimenting with, well, actually, mate, I'm doing, I was doing a lot of listening to people. And I, it suddenly kind of come upon me, oh, wow, maybe maybe this is what I, what I uh, need to do. So it wasn't until I didn't train really classically until the second half of my life, until I was about 35. And that's when I kind of started my training. So that's kind of... I kind of had to hit a wall somewhere along the line to then move move into this whole world of kind of emotions and feelings. So it's all that kind of simplicity. And of course, the other aspect was community. Mm. The idea of just being with people, eating with people, cooking, eating, talking. And it was very slow, just slow time, mm. which I think are really quite radical, I think, in, in this day and age. Yeah. I was having to think about um, slowness earlier today mm. and I think that the speed by which we want to respond to things or do things or the the element of multitasking or trying to do 10 things at the same time it, it it's kind of frazzling our brains right yeah, yeah. I think I think yeah I, I use monotasking quite a lot I think actually we need to get to mono just do one thing at a time it's actually because I think actually can we actually multitask yeah. you know it, it's, it's a concept we need to do so much but when we monotask we're on I'm focused on this thing 
am I going to be doing that better? And ultimately, is it better for me, mm-hmm. um, my body and my mind? Ultimately, we just, I think because everything's so fast paced nowadays and the people just want things to be done now, 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 now. Um, I think this is why people end up in, in, your, in your therapy chair. I wanted to ask you a bit about your work then. Um, so you said that your primary clientele is men 95 percent sorry of yep. your clientele is men and um tell me about that like what do you typically find comes up with men when they go into therapy you know is it the usual what we have been what we've been fed ego like poor emotional regulation like poor communication what what is it that they come to you with usually yeah that is i mean i i well, I, partly because I advertise myself in this, I've done a lot of work on this in terms of groups and um, individuals. Anger, that de- definitely, I do a lot of work with with anger and and men. There's no doubt, and and certainly often in in relationships where you know that's raising its head, often in rage. Um, and so I definitely work with anger. There will be issues around men just reaching a kind of crisis point often, I think, when they get to therapy, almost like, I don't know what to do anymore. And this is quite a difficult thing for a lot of men to admit. I, I, I don't know. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm not sure anymore. And there'll be clearly, you know, relationship stuff, as you say, about communication and, and working on that. Um Classically, it could be anxiety and depression. Um, there will be sexual dysfunctional issues, um, sometimes um, uh, sexuality issues. I think that would probably cover the the main issues that, that men would come to me uh, I'm about. Anx- well, anx- and I said say anxiety. As I think I've said that, but I think this sense of often um, almost working through life and and managing something for quite a long time until they're they're kind of full up you know I kind of you know use that kind of concept that we've all got kind of survival skills and when when those survival skills stop working or stop us growing or thriving um that's where we you know it's almost like now I'm ready to 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 get into therapy Mm. did you specify or specialize sorry with men um, okay, yeah. Um, well, when I finished my, uh, I mentioned earlier my counselling course. So it was two, basically two, two men on that course. Uh, I, I got to the end of the course and think, well, you know, this has been incredible for me. I've, I've grown, and I'm, you know, I'm, I say I'm still growing. And um, uh, I then became very interested in men um, and masculinity. And after that course, I did a, 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 an, in, a, an extra diploma on, on just on men, working with men. So uh, because I think it was about me, I'm a man and I, I didn't know any of this stuff, you know. And so I became actually this is really important for other men to know something about what, I, what I'd call emotional fitness. So that was kind of inspired me when I and soon after I left my um, um, placement college, I set up a little organization called Men at Work, 
where we were, the aim was really to help men to develop emotional fitness. And out of that, um, I had, we kind of set up three programs and this was funded at that time. So Shout, which was the, the anger awareness program, which I ran for men of all walks of community. Fantastic thing. Read that, run that for over eight years. Very successful. Um, and Circles of Men, so men's groups, which I've been running for the last eight, 18, 19 years. I'm still part of a men's group. I'll be going to that later tonight. Um, so I've been part of a men's group for 16 years, really important for my own development and for growth in that. And also we set up a program called Contact, which was for at that time year six boys. Um, and we're really interested in transitions and rites of passage. Um, and, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm still quite interested in that. Um, but this was for inner city kind of schools. Um, where we would take them and do most of the work outside, either on an inner city allotment or would take them out onto residentials. And it was all about actually trying to build emotional fitness and work in that transition from boys to, to kind of men, if you like, through that kind of classic uh, pre-puberty and puberty stage. Okay, okay. It's so much there, so much there. Um, so before we get any further, I'm going to go and have a quick question around men at work now yep. i remember reading a stat on linkedin which i can't remember the stat but i remember reading something on linkedin and they're saying how um, and i think it was posted by a woman and she basically um was saying in an article that they that men or women are told in the workplace that they are too emotional they are too um forthright or they're too they're too much or too anything Right. And then they say, well, but when the majority of men are the ones throwing tantrums or kind of throwing their weight around in the in the office or if they if things if deadlines aren't met, if anything like that, they're creating this kind of environment. So how when you were doing men at work, how did you break down and introduce that idea of emotional fitness to men in the workplace? Because a part of me does feel that it might be very difficult to bring any sense of emotionality to, or any kind of emotional education to men in the yeah. workplace. How was that for you? Yeah, well, again, you know, very interesting. And, and, and as you say, it's, it's quite difficult. But I think we started, I mean, if, you, if we just take anger, you know, you know, that's why I kind of set up shout um, because there's no doubt um, a lot of men, of course, women as well, but a lot of men struggle with expressing anger in a healthy way. And my view on that is that if we if we talk about kind of emotions, um, I often say, look, you know, um, men's emotional um, expression has been reduced. I think it's a trauma. I think we've been traumatized as as boys because we've been restricted, our emotional capacity or expression has been restricted. And so often what we've been left with is what I'd call the default emotion of anger. And that is all we've got or all allowed to have. And we squeeze through that channel, lots of other emotions, generally the vulnerable emotions. Um, so for me, in terms of if that's all we've got, then we need to start to understand, well, okay, maybe, 
there is lots of other emotions that you've learned not to express. You know, we've all heard the the ideas, big, you know, big boys don't cry, or you've got to be strong, you've got to be tough, so you can't show any fear, you can't show sadness. Um, you know, and certainly sh- anything about shame, then that's got to be absolutely pounced on. So all of those feelings, vulnerable feelings, I think, are squeezed through um, anger in, in its different states of anger, um, be that passive, passive, aggressive, aggressive or rage. I think people, men get it. They understand it. Um, so that's one part. The other thing I often talk about is um the, the, the kind of male code, if you like, the rules that men have, I think most men know, um, but they've never seen written down. Yeah. Um, but they, we, we, we know the rules. And so when you even just bring in psychoeducational kind of material like that, okay, this is, these are our rules. I think that can just create a conversation and blow things apart a bit. And, and I suppose I've found that, you know, men when I talk about this stuff, you know, men get it. They, they're nodding away. I think, yeah, yeah, I know that. I know that. And that's the kind of possibility of thinking, okay, well, let's start the hard work of growth yeah. and change, which is hard um, and moving into um, vulnerability and, and, and expressing a broader range of emotions. Mm-hmm. So that, that, I don't know if that makes sense. No, that, does have, that makes so much yeah. sense. I think that um, kind of unpacking, the anger and the shame is a huge part of um, getting to the heart and to the core of what, 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 what who men are, I suppose. Um, I, I just want to kind of unpick what you said around, um, or just a double click on what you said around passive, aggressive, aggressive, and rage. Um, and could you, would you mind explaining that for people that you know probably don't sure. necessarily have any idea, i.e., myself? <laughs> Well, okay, so I often, in the way I look at this psychology of anger is that um, I see there's kind of four unhealthy expressions and and kind of one healthy expression, which we're going to. And and by the way, whenever I talk about emotion and anger, I think it's a fine emotion. Um, You know, we need it, you know, and so I'm not, I don't buy into the positive and negative emotions. I think an emotion is emotion. We just need to learn to express it healthily. So in terms of, I often Put, put them into okay you've got aggressive aggressive anger is the kind of um it's externalized it's kind of saying to people out there you're the problem yeah uh, you know you made me angry classically that kind of stuff um it's because of you um so we're externalizing and i often say that if you take it to the nth degree ultimately it leads to murder yeah. You know, now the other side of that is passive anger, internalized anger. So ultimately, say I'm the problem. You know, I'm useless. I'm rubbish. Yeah, it's always me. I'm, I'm rubbish. So we're we're beating ourselves up inside. We take that to the nth degree. That's self destruction and suicide. Um, so I think there's because anger is such a powerful emotion, and clearly for men, you know, if that's all we've got, you know, that you know, where are we going to go with this? So then, mm. then you could drop down into passive aggressive, which passive aggressive anger is ultimately i'd call it hidden or subtle anger so we're kind of sending a message to people i'm not going to tell you why i'm angry but you're going to feel it and you're going to know it and you actually might i might actually need you to express it for me so we can get into these classic kind of um relational issues where someone's passive aggressive um the other person is not feeling it and 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 uh, learning it and they may then express it they may get angry aggressively and then the passive aggressive person says, why are you always so angry? 
So it's kind of that that it all it's all done in in a subtle stuff. Yeah, so passive aggressive, um, passive aggressive is more like the slamming of the cupboards. So it's this silence, it's a mood, yeah. yep, moodiness, slamming cupboards, it's criticism, sarcasm, put downs, it could be being um, um, untidy all the time, just all of that kind of stuff. I, I'm basically saying to you, I don't, you know, I want you to get angry, but I don't want to express it. Um, so the fourth, the fourth one is rage. Now, I think rage is, again, I would say this, there's a positive element to rage. You know, when I'm on my road bike and I'm riding and there's cars coming past me really quickly, you know, I am letting off a huge amount of um, kind of uh, intrinsic life force kind of, you know, you need to get away from me. You know, I'll be coming out in lots of colourful language. Um, uh, and for me, it's, I need that. I, this, is, this is close to death. But the, the unhealthy kind of rage is what I'd call old anger. So it's almost like it has very little to do with the present and everything to do with the past. So, and most rage happens with our intimates in our home, not all, but most. And for men, it's mainly at our female um, uh, partners. And it could be if we're, if we're gay, could be to our male partners. Um, but that sense of we're, so what, what is that about? It may be about, Maybe about um, uh, how we felt anger 10 minutes ago, 10 hours ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. It may have been how we felt as a child. So and ultimately saying, well, as a little boy, I didn't have any power. So I didn't do anything. But now as a man, I'm, you're not going to treat me a bit like the Hulk. You know, I often say, look, uh, you know, if we can, and it, I think there's a connection here with the passives. Passives, if we're stuff, 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 we get full up. One more thing, or you're patronising me, you're thinking I'm nothing, boom, it's all coming out, and it's a bit like a, 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 a court coming out of a bottle. I often say rage is cyclical. You can be standing in front of that person. We call it the red mist. They're not there. It's not about now. It's about the past. Um, and I think rage can be worked with quite healthily, quite quickly, I'd say, uh, in my experience. Um, when we understand and what's going on. And, and so the healthy anger, healthy expression of anger, I would say, of course, is assertiveness. You know, being able to express the right feeling at the right time, being able to be in tune with our emotions and being able not to abuse the other, not to hurt the other, and not, but not to hurt ourselves. So we're sharing our truth, ultimately. So, okay, so the healthy anger is like the assertiveness, drawing your boundaries, knowing who you are in this space, yep. knowing what you will and yep. will not accept, okay? Yeah. Um, I really liked what you said about age. Uh, age? Rage. Age. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> I Freudian slip there, but I was going to say around, like, it, it's an anger that ages, right? It's over time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that build-up of stuff. And we've seen it all that... We've seen it recently, like, in the past year with regards mm -hmm. to the kind of the racial aspect of stuff that's been going around, like, all that build-up of just kind of things... Yeah. Things have been teared, being torn down, and everything is kind of coming to a certain kind of yeah. um, head as well. And um, I've always found in anger interesting. Um, um, I mentioned in a previous podcast episode that I used to be frightened of anger. I didn't know what I didn't like it. I used to always look at it as the worst possible emotion that was there. Yeah. Obviously going through all of this and kind of having these conversations and learning myself, anger can be very useful. 
Um, and that breakdown of what you have with regards to, you know, passive anger, passive aggressive anger, aggressive anger, rage, it's, um, it's good to see what the healthy side of anger looks like because they are, they are, when they are positively expressed, I guess, can you say positively expressed or you say healthily expressed? Um, it's just yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's, it's super interesting. Um, mm. when they come to your, uh, practice and when you're dealing with men in a group in how do you navigate and work through the anger? If you've sitting around in a group of people with 12, like 12 angry men with mm. anger, how do you access parts of them that help them to communicate with one another and yourself through that anger? I think it's creating a safe space. You know, I, I, when, as soon as you get men into a group and they start to be vulnerable, you've just got all the other men nodding away, thinking, yeah, I know, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. This is, I've lived this stuff inside my head for so long. It's amazing kind of to finally hear another man talk about stuff that I've, I'm, I'm actually facing. So I, I, whenever I leave my groups, you know, I'm, I'm not, and I'll say this, I'm not really interested in anger management. I'm not even sure if it works. I'm not interested in managing anger. I'm interested in anger awareness. When we become aware of why I'm getting angry, you know, and, you know, as you said earlier, absolutely, there's a right time to get angry. We need it. We, you know, it's, a, it's, a, um, it creates boundaries. It's, it gives us um, an ability to be, decisive um um it motivates us it moves us it kind of uh puts the red flag up and says no this is not acceptable you know kind of justice and stuff like that so we absolutely do need that but when you when you so a lot of my work around men with anger is ultimately developing emotional fitness giving them um a place empathic spaces to be able to share their full spectrum of emotions and it, when that space is offered and when we do um work around um psychoeducation work you know kind of anger help them to understand it so i think that's really important doing work on i think shame there's no doubt shame and rage are closely linked in my view um but when we create a space where men can actually talk that through and i and i would say this when i ran my shout group you know it's a 10 week 20 hour group a lot of the work was physical you know, so we didn't we didn't sit there with books and pieces of paper. We were either we were engaging emotionally, but then uh, exercises. We were working with our body, so the body and emotion are one. Uh, in, in, in how I understand it, and so we 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 moved and we did you know some fairly you know powerful exercises. But every week would be it would be active, it would be moving, and um, so for me that that just moved on the work quite quickly. When, when we get men to, you know, in terms of whether that might be touch, whether that might just be, you know, kind of playing games, you know, but getting getting in touch with their bodies is really important. I often say that men, we've often taught men to build their bodies, work their bodies, um, uh, diet their bodies or shred their bodies, build their bodies, but we, few men have learned to listen to their bodies. Mm, and be in them. So what are some of the exercises you give them to do to get into the body? Well, I think with, when, when we certainly talk around developing emotional fitness, 
Um, it may just be as simple as, see, you know, so we're trying to give emotions labels and it might just be um, embodying yourself into different emotions. So that when we, you know, when I get these grown men sometimes in circles, we might just be in, doing a lot of circle work and it might just be passing a, an emotion around on our face. So I often say, look, you know, part of emotional fitness for me as fast as men is to learn to move our face. You know, most of us have learned to have a poker face, you know, the default face, if you like, the resting face. We need to learn to move it. And so even just moving an emo a face into it might be into a smile. It might be into sadness. And as when we can do that and we sh shape our bodies into, you know, making our bodies smaller, you know, it touches on some could be historic or deep. So this is this is quite simplistic stuff. But. It is, you know, and it's it's, it's playful. The get the, the, you know, I would just call them games or stuff would be playful. Where it might just be helping men to move closer to each other, and then, um, you know, like even hugging. We would do lots of exercises around um, uh, touch, eye contact, um, almost intimate stuff to help them to drop into their bodies, but also drop into their, their vulnerability. And, and it's, a, it's a wonderful and lovely thing to see um, when men can do this so freely with ultimately men they've never met before in their lives. For sure, for sure. It's beautiful. I, I run my own men's groups as well. And the, it, it, it's that feeling of just when you, when you, when you break through with one another, um, and when you bring yourself and, and, um, and you see that communication, cause we get told so many times as men, so much throughout our life, pretty much. And you've, you've seen more of it than I have, but I'm at the point where I'm like, you know, everyone's like, oh, men don't talk, men don't do this, men don't do that, men. And I'm just like, well, the men that I'm encountering do. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm always open to the men that always, the ones that present as if they don't, I always, always, look at it and think well they can everybody has the potential to do this stuff um and we have to look around at the way we've been socialized and the way that we've been you know if you grow up as a boy and you consistently hear that conversation then you're gonna adapt to that prescription of what you what people are are giving you um one thing one last thing i wanted to ask about you know around this kind of idea around your practice and the way that you kind of navigate and interact with men is um how much of yourself do you bring to your men's groups? Are you, as you know, when we lead, when you're leading these groups, um, are you, are you a part of the men's group as much as the facilitator, or are you a part, or are you in a separate men's group where you are um, the participant and somebody else is leading it? How do you navigate that, and what is your way of doing that? Yeah, uh, well, you've uh, just kind of said it two ways. So I'm part of the men's group, which I set up many years ago I mean 15 16 years ago but I, I I no longer lead it we we don't kind of have we co we all facilitate it there's no facilitator so I'm part of that and that's been a really good um, growth thing for me and for new men's groups I might set up generally they're um, closed groups and I would set up and then I, you know do eight sessions and I would hold it facilitate it um, but equally, I'm, I'm wanting to share my story as well. Um, I'm not wanting to kind of be part of that. I think um, that kind of sense of self-disclosure, if you like, even in therapy can be absolutely a useful thing. Um, so, yeah, I'll tell my story. I'll work with that um, in, in the particular. But in, in those groups, I'm generally working myself out of a job and, you know, and uh, letting the groups just carry on. Okay. 
Okay, okay. Um, I've always found that interesting, just thinking, if embarking on this career myself, what does that look like if I am doing this, if I'm doing that? What am I bringing to the, to the table and how am I doing it? Yes, and I think that's uh, in you know a practice and still practice really person centered, and we have you know certain can you know conditions that we try and practice, and one of them is being congruent, which for me means what the in, the inside world and the outside world match. And I think when we're working as a therapist, it's like okay, I'm kind of being kind of aware of what's going on inside of me, and then I'm going to make a choice or decision would this be an appropriate thing to, to share or would it not and so always kind of checking ourselves ultimately that I want to be conscious of what's going on in me but this may not be an appropriate thing to share with the client at that time or it may be right all right so let's get on to the secret lives of men 10 keys to unlock the mystery the thing is I'm really interested in in these kinds in these kinds of books as well because I feel like the way that you've panned it out, you've panned it out as a toolbox in one mm-hmm. one sense and a guidebook in another. I wanted to ask you this so when you sat down to write this book, what was going through your mind at this point? How did you narrow down the ten points? What were they? Yeah, well, good question. I well, I came to this book really after having lots of men sent to me in therapy from women, from partners, from mothers, um, and men were coming and becoming emotionally, getting emotionally fit. They're starting to express their vulnerable emotions. They were going home, and they were kind of being told to man up. You know, as in, you know, we you know we can't accept. We don't want to hear your your weakness we don't want to hear your vulnerability um and so it came to me that oh okay so if we if women as it were um want men to change to become more emotionally vulnerable then actually their view of men have to change as well and because if they've been taught the kind of traditional aspects of masculinity as in men have got to be tough stoical distant then that's their expectations of men and so we've, we've all got to change and so i started this book really by creating a talk for women um and I did, interestingly I did a talk for men at the time MOT for men um no, nobody turned up not one man turned up for that but the but the uh, um the 10 tips on how to understand men um for women it was packed um and th- this is where the original keys come from so when I sat down to write the book I was in this mind think well women are going to read this book but I want men to read it. Um, so, and I know that even so in, you know, the book has been out for just over a year that generally I think as predicted, more women will buy this book and um, because they generally look after lots of the emotional and relational social sides of, of relationships and often of their men folk. Um, so they are interested in it. And, um, um, but equally I'm hoping and the way I've written the book in a kind of style of a dip in style kind of, um, uh, you know, some, some fun aspects to it, some quizzes, all sorts of, you know, then there's, you know, over 72, tips in there you can just read a, one of the keys if you like you can just jump right in there and and that will you don't have to read any more um you can just read a quote you know so so it's hoping that it'll be a kind of stuck on a coffee table and men might just pick it up and oh, this, is, this is interesting mm. so that's the kind of concept behind what i was hoping the book would be like yeah 
So, what are the 10 tips? The 10 keys? First one, is, the first key is um, called feelings are like a foreign language for okay. men. Okay. Um, the second key is men feel a need to constantly prove their masculinity. The third is shame is the silent terror. Um, four is size really does matter. Um, five, he longs to be looked after, and so does she. Um, six, men's vulnerable feelings are expressed through anger. Seven, men's intimate feelings are expressed through sex. Eight, men's self-esteem is based on performance. Nine, action is man's typical communication style. Ten, men long to be in the company of other men. Okay. Okay. Which were the which were the two most interesting to you? Two of the most important <laughs> and two of the most interesting to you. Yeah. Okay. So um, <laughs> I would say the top one is basically is the feelings about foreign language. You know. So I often say, look, you know, I very rarely ask men how they feel because they will they will tell me one of six words: okay, not bad, fine, all right, and normal. Yeah. <laughs> and all of, all of those words we're we're, we're I was kind of saying, yeah, I'm okay. I'm looking after myself. No, no, no problem here. You know, don't have to go any further. And so it, that chapter is all about what we have learned about emotions and has got my kind of five-step emotional fitness program in there. So kind of how we can develop emotional fitness. For me, that is the key of almost all of my work now and, and has been for a while and where, where, I'm, where I'm wanting to go. Um, the second one, I think, is, is um, shame. There's no doubt in the last five, five years of my practice, I've been working with men in shame. Um, and it's, it's, a, um, it's, a, it's everywhere. And even sometimes when I bring the word shame up, men just well, don't want to go anywhere near it. I think we know it so well, but it's, it's a controller of us. Um, and so working and talking about shame, understanding shame. And again, I'd say that there's a healthy shame and there's a kind of toxic or poisonous shame. Um, and so for me, working with shame is absolutely um, important. Um, and I could say so the, the one that is grabbing me, I'm going to name this one in terms of and, and I, ha I have explored it in the book. Um, I've put here men's intimate feelings often expressed through sex. In the last year, two years, five years, let's say two years, um, I've been grabbed by um, and been doing a lot of work on intimacy. Men love, men love and intimacy. Um, what do we, what do we know about love? What have we done with love? What have we done with intimacy? And for me, that is, that has captivated me. You know, I recently did a, a, a one day kind of conference for, uh, on, um, my uh, it's of nurturing men but on, on on men and love you know i i'm not i can't move too far away from that because in, in in my own life as well i mean what have i learned about love and how many years has it taken me to to allow other people in to start to get to know me um you know i think we've got so many barriers and i feel uh, you know allowing another person in to love me will they love me and also what is love you know it's like this word you know and we were exploring love as being um you know i talk about the um the the, the romantic delusion 
you know um it, it it kind of that's that's not what love is you know the idea of or the classic idea of falling into love it's like this is a it's almost like us as men oh i i, I fell in, i'm in love i fell into love almost like we don't have to choose and it just happened you know so and if we fall in love we seem to fall out of love quite early well i don't love her anymore i don't love them anymore i love this person and and i, and I suppose my view is that love is not a feeling it's an action it's a matter of will i need to will myself to love um my my partner you know we don't get on all the time it's not happy you know, all the time and, you know it's not great you know so i need to it's a matter of will i will love you know i choose to love um it's not like uh so that that for me that's the i think the most interesting because uh, uh i'm exploring that within myself and i know that i've been exploring that with uh in groups as well yeah i always think that yeah, i agree with the, the with the ones you chose um and i think there's this really weird kind of parallel with shame and love it's like this 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 kind of needing and um wanting of love but you have, but you know, but the shame of it that is there, and the kind of the lack of it, it kind of builds up in the shame, doesn't it? And then this conversation that um, I've been having a lot actually recently about love and intimacy, and um, it's it, and especially with men, I think that that is something that we are craving a lot more. I think that there's this whole idea that as you said, jumping from person to person is you falling in love here, falling in love there, falling in... And it's, it's, the, it's the need for unattachment and lack of commitment, as you said, the lack of will to, to do that, to actually, you know, really have the, the love that you want. But, some, but also, it's that wanting the compatibility, right? And mm. if you've not been taught as men taught to really tap into things and ask for what you want and kind of know what you want then you're going to jump you're going to hop from relationship to relationship and and and, you know with with these very kind of fractured beginnings right yeah yeah no absolutely and and i think there is this sense of you know i've had uh, male clients say this explicit i don't know what love is and nobody's taught me. How do I know if my how, who's taught who showed me how to love? You know, we don't. We are, are, do we? You know, teach our boys what what love is. It's almost like like love is a that's women's work. You know, and I, and I talk about you know the care sector. You know, which is you know classically and still and increasingly so becoming absolutely populated by women. You know, it's always been childcare, nurseries, um, primary schools. The only the only men you'll tend to get into primary schools now are the caretaker and the head. Um, you've got edu- education. I um, mean, secondary education. Increasingly, more women teachers in there. Men men are kind of disappearing. You've got the whole health sector. You know, um, uh, where increasingly men are disappearing from there. Women are now becoming the the, the doctors, the surgeons, the consultants. Um, and of course, you've got the whole care, social care sector. It's all women. And it's just like actually, if have, if we've not been taught to care for ourselves. How do we learn to care for others um, and what caring is? So often I say, look, you know, in terms of relationships, you know, men get 
as soon as they get in, often get into relationships, they they want they want to be looked after. So another chapter of mine, you know, they're they're longing to be looked after, almost like they're needing to be mothered again. Um, and I think some of our growth is actually to learn to look after ourselves emotionally, but equally to look after others. And of course, we're quite capable. We're at men are absolutely capable. Great examples of men of being nurturers. We are, we can nurture, we, we, we do nurture, but there's still a real long way to go, I think, in terms of helping us to, you know, not just say, well, you know, that's what this is, you know, how we kind of stereotypically kind of prepare girls and women um, uh, to, to do that work. Mm, mm. There is a long way to go. Um, and because we see it, as you said, we see it in so many examples. But okay, what examples do you have that that you've seen? Those examples of caring and nurturing men, just so people can kind of get a picture of what that looks like. Because I'm I'm conscious that there would be people who have probably not had access to seeing that kind of man in their life. What would that look like? What would an archetype of that look like? In, in terms of a caring a man, caring, or, a nurturing man, if the, you know, if you yeah. could... well, you see it absolutely, don't you? I mean, in some um, good, good fathers, good enough fathers who are can be tender with their children, can um, continue to offer touch, um, and um, uh, they can share their vulnerability. Um, they can look after their children. It's not, you know, um, in terms of what their needs. You know whether that be cooking or whether that be school clothing, all sorts of stuff. So they're definitely in terms of fathering. Um, men are, you know, some fabulous examples clearly of men doing that work and are quite capable of doing that. Um, I suppose you look into certain sectors of work. You know, we've got um, in in all sectors there are men, but there's just few of them. And I think this uh, this idea of modelling for for boys and for other men that actually um, it, it's okay to care. I mean, we've got you know obviously I'm in psychotherapy, the uh, area or industry, um, and you know, but people don't understand it. You know, people have you know thought me if I if I show empathy or show caring or I'm I'm a good listener, it's almost like do they question my sexuality or even my gender? You know, it, you know, and I've had that. You know, it's like um, or being called certain um, names because I'm, you know, I'm too, am I too feminine or something? You know, um, so so I think yeah, men, men are in all sectors and even in business where they can be caring, compassionate, empathic leaders, but there's few of them. I wanted to have a quick chat about sexuality um, when it comes to what you talk about and I noticed in your book in part of it was you in the beginning you said that um you know you're largely directed at heterosexual men but you mentioned that um a lot of it can be applied to queer relationships because a lot of men are raised in heterosexual marriages or partnerships do you get a large amount of queer men that come to your practice and are the needs different or are they the same well i don't get a, i wouldn't say i get a large amount of queer men coming to my practice but i've definitely over the years worked with many gay men or men who are in the process of coming out um even especially in later life actually um 
So, um, I, and I, I suppose my view is they're very similar, the issues. Um, and that's kind of where I, I think uh, the idea of emotional fitness and the idea that, you know, most of us have been brought up in a heteronormative society. We've had heterosexual parents. We've, we've lived in these kind of patriarchal rules. And so, to and that's why I think coming out is an incredibly difficult thing and a, a, a frightening thing that um, for many boys and men, um, and also it can lead to kind of unhealthy practices. Often, you know, I've worked with some gay uh, young men and it's just like, well, if you come out, what, where do you go? Where do you go to meet other gay men? Um, and of course it ends up what used to in, in kind of clubs and then it goes into sex and then and then instead of having kind of um, what we have so-called platonic relationships or connections it's then based into sex and where, where that leads with chem sex and all sorts mm. of stuff um, and so I think it's a massively difficult thing of you know the vulnerability around sharing our intimacy um uh as men you know whether we whether we're straight or gay is is a massive thing so in terms of for me to share my intimacy as a heterosexual male um with another man i think you know there's a there's a real loss there you know of and there's a there's a kind of desert um and and i certainly part of me uh, when i was younger longed to be in the company of other men, um, being intimate with other men in a, in a non-sexual way, um, and being able to be comfortable in that, and and but it's a credit. It's not if we're talking about growth areas, is a huge amount of growth there for most of us as men. Um, that's why I'm so interested in, in in intimacy. That is so so good to hear. It's um, and that's kind of been my core value pretty much as one of them has just really been community and really understanding that if I'm building a community of men I want to hear from all men yeah. you know however you present however you identify I want to hear from men mm. I want, because that's the thing we have in common um, rather yeah. than trying to um, you know live in the differences we, we must learn from the differences and build together in that way and um yeah and i think it's a shame that we are in a, in, in, a, in a way consistently divided with these attitudes and stuff and it makes it and it it you know it increases loneliness and alienation and as you as you said earlier you need to be worked out of a job but there we go yeah. um thank you so much for joining me on the Great. episode Thank you. um that was really good i'm definitely gonna have to get you on again um, once i delve further into the book and kind of i want to <laughs> unpick the specific keys um yeah, yeah. thanks Alex. amazing um two books that you'd want to suggest for reading okay again i'm going to be on masculinity so i i'm going to give you the two best books i think i've read on masculinity um the first one is by a black feminist called bell hooks um, the Will to Change, Men, Masculinity and Love. And she has been absolutely inspirational to me in terms of my work in on her series about, all about love. Um, it's so much great stuff in that in that book. And what I loved about Bell Hooks when I came across her was, and this is when I came in early in my work, um, she loves men. 
you know, and she, this book is just such a beautiful book about her, you know, she's, um, she wants the best for men, and, but she absolutely understands men, um, so abs- be at the, one of the top, top, my top books, um, and the second book, which is, a, a, again, one of the best books I think I've read around men and masculinity is, is called I Don't Want to Talk About It, um, Overcoming the Secret Legacy of Male Depression by Terence Real. Um, again, very in-depth book, some classic stuff in there, which uh, you know you could go back to again and again. Huge amount of stuff in both of those books. Okay, so that's The Will to Change by Bell Hooks. Yep. And I Don't Want to Talk About It. Okay, yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, I love whenever I hear bell hooks brought up in conversations. It just means you obviously know. I, lo- I, <laughs> no bell I love her. Everything, yeah. just everything yeah. that I've read um, has just yeah. spoken to me. Um, but very wise woman. Very, very. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so Great. much for joining me on the show. Um, where can people find you if you want them to find you? they they can find me uh, I I have a couple websites Um, um, so my counselling practice is on synergycounselling.com and I also have my page for speaking engagement and stuff like that called jameshawes.org and you can find me on Twitter um, at uh, James R. Hawes um, uh, I think Um, so, so yeah those sort of places amazing amazing well thank you again for joining me on this show and yeah been a pleasure brilliant thanks alex thanks for having me